0: Just in, in coming here on Sunday mornings, one thing that we do is we we come up on the stage after the band is practiced and we have a word of prayer. And it's always interesting to me that as we come up there, how many how many how many prayer requests are just from just from the group of people that are up here? And I know that the same thing is true for you guys as well. And there's just a lot of there's a lot of there's a lot of hurt and there's a lot of pain that's going on in this life, and you know, and I know the same thing is true for you, and of course we sing a song like that. Said it is well with my soul. And I, I think for, for many of us, it's easy to lose sight of the fact that, that ultimately this life is not about all the stuff that happens here, but it's about the hope that we have in our God. And so I know that we've already prayed a few times today, but I'd, just like, to, I'd like for us to pray together. And I'm just going to lead us in a word of prayer and just to pray that, that God would make it uh, evident in your life that it is well with your soul. And even as you struggle, and you know people who are struggling physically, maybe financially, whatever it might be, that you would lift them up in prayer, but more than anything that you would pray. Say, God, I pray that you will make them know that it is well with their soul in him. So let's pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, I I am just grateful for you today, and and God, as we sing these songs, and there's so many truths in the songs that we sing today, but God, just that last one was just very, uh, you know, very evident to me that that whenever we trust in you, and God, whenever we follow you, that, that you make it well with our soul. And, and you tell us in Scripture that, that we are not to fear the one who has only the ability to kill the body, but the one who has the ability to kill the body and the soul. And, and Lord, that is you, but it is also you who gives life to the soul. And I pray today that we would just have a confidence in you, a belief and a strength that comes from you, knowing that you are a God, who has power over all things. And Lord, regardless of what we face, you have promised that we have a future in you. And so may we take heart in that. Lord, I pray that we will have joy in that. And I pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. All right. Now, if you have your Bible, if you would, you can turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 4. And we're going to look in the first six verses today in just a few moments. So 1 Peter chapter 4, verse number 1. And as you turn there... I would just like to share with you I believe that one of the greatest inventions that there's been with the smartphone is the Maps app. Y'all have the Maps app on your phone? Now for somebody like me this is tremendously important because for me that that app means something. It means that I can never get lost which is a great benefit so whenever I'm traveling anywhere I will just simply type in the address and then it calculates a route for me that I'm supposed to follow. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Isn't that great? And so that is, that is wonderful for me. So I just sit there and I, I put it up on my dash and I listen to that beautiful woman who shares her nice little voice in 800 feet turn right. And so I just have so much confidence whenever I know that I can just type in the address that I'm going to. And she's going to guide me there regardless of what things look like. Now, as I say that though, there are times that the direction she give me, while it might seem like it's in the right direction, sometimes it's not always the best path for me to travel. And an example for me is I, I go down to Charleston uh, quite a bit or uh, several times during the school year because I have a son that's in school down there. And so when I drive down there, of course, the route they send you on is to send you on I-26. Have y'all been on I-26 going to Charleston in the last like 10 years? Isn't that a wonderful road? That is the one road where I sometimes begin to question my salvation. You know, I get on that road and I just, I become like demonic. And then by the time I hit Orangeburg, I'm sitting there thinking, I mean, you stop and you're going five miles an hour for like 30 miles. And that lady's saying, you know, just keep on I-26. Now, at this point, I'm hating her. And so what I do is I, I get off and I'm looking for a different path to get down to Charleston, some back roads, Because to stay on that road, I-26, I mean, it's pointless to stay on that road any longer. But here's the deal. When I get off that path and I start going the back roads, she keeps recalculating on how I'm supposed to get back on I-26. And so to shut her up, I have to turn my phone off. Now, the longer I live, here's what I'm, I'm beginning to understand more and more. I'm beginning to understand that there is basically a general path that all people travel in life. And we all just sort of get on the road together and we're, we're traveling, traveling along on that road. But the problem with that is that God has called us to live and to go a different way than everybody else goes. Um, Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 7, 13-14, through 14. he said, Enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the rod is broad, broad that leads to destruction. And there are many who go through it. How narrow is the gate and difficult the road that leads to life and few find it. Now God's called us to be different. He's called us to live a divergent life, which is why we're going through this series Divergent, And that word, divergent, again, it means to move away from what's expected, to go a different way. And in light of that, I think it's time for some of us to begin to recalculate the path that we're going to travel in this life. Because God has called us to live in a different way. And I think there's some of us, as we've gone on this journey of life, and it's like we've been on I-26 for a long time, and as we go down this life, we think, Man, I don't feel like I'm really getting anywhere. Is is there another path that I can take to arrive at the destination that I want to arrive at? And and the answer to that question is, yeah, there is another path that you can take. And the path that you are called to take is a path that is divergent. As a matter of fact, it's a path that will cause you to make a 180 in life. And so I really believe that for some of us, it's time for us to make a 180 in the way that we are living. And so today in our passage of scripture, we're going to see Peter sharing with us how we can make a 180 in life so that we can live differently than the rest of the world and not be caught up in this traffic jam of life. And so that's why we're going to look in 1 Peter chapter 4 in just a a few moments. And again, as we look in this text, it's important for us to remember that Peter was writing to a group of believers who were scattered all over the ancient world, and they were, they were struggling because of their faith. And so Peter wrote them to encourage them. And the way that Peter encourages is actually, uh, it's a little different in the way that he encourages. In verse number 13, here's how Peter encouraged them. He said, Rejoice as you share in the sufferings of the Messiah, so that you also may rejoice with great joy at the revelation of his glory. Now, you'll notice the beginning, he says, rejoice as you share in the sufferings of the Messiah. That is what I call different, right? And that's a little bit divergent. For me, I'm thinking if I'm suffering, don't call for me to rejoice. I mean, let me gripe. You know, as you are suffering, the way the rest of the world goes is as we suffer, we gripe and we complain. But Peter says that we are to rejoice. Why? Why? But well, because whenever we go a different way, whenever we follow God's command to be different, God has promises for us. And God has promised us a new life. He's promised us forgiveness. He's promised us eternity and hope. Okay, so then how do I live a 180 life? You know, how do you live a 180 life? Well, let's look at a few things in our text today that, that share with us a few things required to live a 180 life. And the first thing that I see that's required for us to live a 180 life, to live a different life, is this an attitude adjustment. If we're going to live differently, it requires us to have a different attitude. Now, look with me in verse number one. It says, Therefore, since Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same resolve, because the one who suffered in the flesh has finished with sin now one thing that is rather interesting about me is I've and probably for more than just me but for most people is it's interesting how in any situation I have discovered the skill and the art of inserting myself in every situation you know I can I can see somebody who is maybe not feeling well and instead of like having my first thought about them I have figured out a way to be thinking about me and I think that person is sick, I hope they don't give it to me. My first thought is, man, I hope they get better. I'm thinking, don't touch me. Uh, whenever I go to a wedding, you know, typically a wedding is about you know, what, the bride, right? And I'm sitting there thinking, how is this wedding going to interfere with some of the sporting events that are going to be on television today? So obviously, when I, when I think of my own life, I, there are times when I need an attitude adjustment. And my guess is that that is also true for you. Well, the people in our text that Peter was writing to, they were in need of an attitude adjustment. Most of their attitude was focused on them and what they were going through. Now, to be fair, uh, they had some understandable reasons to be concerned about themselves because they were undergoing persecution. I mean, they were followers of God, and what did they get for that? Well, they were living under the leader or under a ruler named Nero who hated Christians. He was doing everything he could to make their lives miserable. I mean, he was persecuting them. He was killing them. They were being blackballed from their jobs. They were on the outskirts of society. And the people who were followers of God, they're like, they were thinking of themselves. I'm going to follow Jesus. This is what I get. And so they began to think, well, I don't want to be different. I want to blend in with everybody else because I'm tired of taking flack for following after God. And they'd got to a point where they were ready to say, this is enough but here's the deal following jesus is not about us well who's it about well it's about jesus you see jesus did not come here because we deserve it jesus did not come here in order to say hey whatever you calling me to do i'm here at your beck and service jesus came here because he is worthy and Jesus came here because he has the ability to take care of our debt of sin. And so when we submit ourselves to him, what that means is that we literally belong to him because he bought us. We're told in 1 Corinthians six nineteen and 20, Don't you know that your body is a sanctuary of the Holy Spirit who's in you, whom you have from God? You're not your own. It says, For you were bought at a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body." This means that we are now subject to the leadership of Jesus. And a part of following his leadership is living like him. A part of being a part of Jesus' family means that we are going to like and seek after the things that God likes. And so so very simply put, the question comes to this. Am I going to choose to live for me or am I going to choose to live for Jesus? And we have a choice to make here. And you might say, well, what's wrong with me living for me? I mean, it's, it, it is my life, and, and that's true, it is your life. But if you decide to live for you instead of living for God, then understand there are ramifications that come with that. The Bible tells us in Romans 8, 5-8, For those who live according to the flesh, think about the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit, about the things of the Spirit. For the mindset of the flesh, what is it? It says it's death. But the mindset of the Spirit is life and peace. For well, the mindset of the flesh is hostile to God because it, it does not submit itself to God and its laws, and his laws, for it's unable to do so. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Now, what Jesus did is he took on suffering for us on the cross in order to give us the opportunity to connect to him that we might have freedom from ourselves. To have freedom from the power of sin over our lives and I really think that whenever we take time to think of the cost of sin which is that Jesus died for it that it'll cause us to want to move away from it because we understand that there is a heavy price that comes with living for ourselves uh, one of my one of my favorite shows on television is Top Gear I don't know if you've ever seen that show before there's the American version y'all it's no good uh, the best ones the one on the BBC British version is like my favorite one. And a few years ago, they did a show on the Bugatti Veyron car. Y'all ever, have y'all ever seen that car? Unstinking believable car. Uh, watch that show, 1,000 horsepower. Um, it's able to go from 0 to 60 in 2.4 seconds. Y'all get excited. Uh, I mean, unbelievable. My favorite part about the car is that if you have it floored with a full tank of gas... You can, you can absolutely empty that tank of gas in 12 minutes. Anything that can drain gas in 12 minutes, I'm all about that. Right? Top speeds, 253 miles an hour. And I looked at Emily, and I said, that is our next car. I mean, that is our family car right there. Until I saw how much it cost. Now, this was several years ago. It cost $2.25 million. So we're going through a capital campaign uh, starting today, now I, I just looked at that and I was like, you know what, as much of a great family car as that's going to be, uh, I'm not going to be able to get that car. Now, it's an attractive car, but the price tag's too big for me. Now, in a sense, the same thing is true about sin. So let me, guys, in all honesty, sin is attractive. If it wasn't attractive, we wouldn't mess with it. Sin's attractive, but here's the deal. The price tag is way too much for us to be messing around with it. Now, the Bible's honest. It talks about the attractiveness of sin. I mean, it tells us about Moses in Hebrews 11, 24 and 25. It says, By faith Moses, when he'd grown up, he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. And he chose to suffer with the people of God rather than to enjoy the short-lived pleasure of sin. Now, is sin fun? Yeah. Is it something that gets our attention? You better believe it. Is it attractive? Yes. Yes but the cost that comes with it is huge and while it brings temporary pleasure here's the, de- the deal ultimately it brings death see the price tag for sin is like the price tag of a Bugatti we can't handle the cost therefore we should not be messing around with it and so that's why Peter says that we are to equip ourselves like Jesus did equip ourselves with the same resolve That Jesus did concerning sin. That word equip means to put on battle gear. It means to be ready for this life. And the battle gear we put on is the leadership of Jesus so that we don't mess with sin. Okay, so if we're going to live a 180 life, what does that mean for us? It means we need an attitude adjustment. Life's not about you, it's not about me, it's about God. If I'm going to live a 180 life, what else does it mean? Well, it means that you need to make a time adjustment as well. Uh, Look with me in verses 2 and 3. It says, in order to live the remaining time in the flesh, no longer for human desires, but for God's will. For there's already been enough time spent in doing the will of the pagans, carrying on in unrestrained behavior, evil desires, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and lawless idolatry. Now it's interesting to me that that my perspective of time has changed the older I've gotten. Uh, When I was younger, I felt like time just sort of, it just crept along. And y'all remember, you remember being in school, you know, you'd be in school and the school year would begin and you'd be like, oh my gosh, I'm never going to get out of school. And you would think that that one school year lasted seven years. And it was just awful. And so it was just so slow. Okay, now I feel like time is moving faster. And for those of you who are out of high school and college, do y'all agree with that? Isn't that weird? So what happened? Is time just moving faster now? It's not that it's moving faster. It's just that I I think it's like the sand in a little hourglass. The closer you get to the bottom, the quicker it looks like it's going. Because you begin to realize, well, I don't have an unlimited amount of time. And so it it seems like yesterday for me and my family that that my three kids were in the backyard playing together. Okay, now we're just a few years away from being empty nesters. Now That's weird to me. Like, what happened? Now, the good news about that is it means that Emily and I will have an opportunity to start a second family. But, you know, it's always important for us to consider time. Because it is not an unlimited commodity. I mean, there's a beginning of it, and there's an end of it. So one the Bible says in Psalm ninety twelve, It says, teach us to number our days carefully, so that we may develop wisdom in our hearts. You know, when we, be- when we begin to understand that time is limited... It's going to begin to change the way that you spend your time, or at least it should. And so whenever you have decisions to make and you begin to understand there is a time equation in all things, it will influence the decisions that you make. Uh, Just last week, I had the opportunity with my daughter. We went to the National Prayer Breakfast. And so we get to the airport, and we're sitting there, and and our plane's taking off in five minutes Now, Janie wants to go to McDonald's and stand in line to get something to eat and drink before we get on the plane. Okay, I know that time does not last forever. And so I look at her and say, we have a decision to make here. Do you want to make the plane or do you want to go to McDonald's and be stuck here for the rest of your life? Okay, now I knew that there was a time equation to deal with. And so knowing that, it influenced the decision that we made. Well, guys, what about you in, in your life? Is it influencing the decisions that you make? Now, Peter was telling us that it is important for us to take into consideration time because it has a powerful influence to help you make decisions and correct decisions. But what was going on with the people in our text is they just saw time as an unlimited quali- uh, quantity, and so they were, just, they were messing around with the things of this world, and Peter said, Man, don't do that. You're wasting your time when you do that. Matter of fact, what he told them in the verse that we just read is he said, the time is already passed for you in doing what the pagans do. In other words, to mess with the stuff of this life, it is a waste. Why? Well, there's a couple reasons why. One, it's unproductive. And two, it's unnatural. When we, when we waste our time on the things of this world, it's unproductive, it's unnatural. Okay, here's an example for, for, for me again. Uh, at our house, our boys are my my, boy, my middle son has an Xbox. Okay, now I hate the games because there's a lot of buttons on the controller, and I grew up with we Atari, and so you had a joystick and one button. That's it. Okay, now Xbox that my they they can move all their fingers, but there's one game that I can play, and I think it's a cool game. It's the Forza racing game now I know for most of you you have no idea because you don't waste your time playing that stuff it is so fun uh they have I can race they have Bugatti on there they have Maseratis and so I get to drive those cars y'all I'm good I am good at that racing game I can slide around the corners I won the world driving championship last year just to let y'all know um I have four four million dollars in the bank now if I if I live my life thinking that that was real you know, wh- what are you gonna think That guy is nuts. Now, if I spend all my time, say, Emily, just give me time here. I'm winning money. Okay, she's going to think I'm crazy because do you get to spend that money? Well, no, why? It's not real. Now, it's fun to play, but let me tell you, it is unproductive. It doesn't produce anything. Now, the same thing is true with sin. Sin can be fun to play. Let me tell you something. It is unproductive. As a matter of fact, the the one thing that sin does produce is actually scary. Romans 6.23 tells us that the wages of sin is death. And so whenever followers of Jesus are messing with sin, it doesn't make sense because it doesn't produce diddly in your life. Nothing good. It's also unnatural. When you mess with sin, when you and I mess with sin as believers, it's unnatural. Hey, well, why is that? Well, the Bible says that whenever we become followers of Jesus, it says that we die to sin. And now we live sin. For christ so if i'm dead to sin but i'm playing with it that's unnatural because when when you're dead to something you don't do anything i mean right i mean have you ever seen a dead guy and thought that guy's got a great voice well, is that unnatural yeah that dead guy he played a great round of golf that doesn't happen why because he's dead right it's unnatural the bible says we are dead to sin so for dead, if we're dead to sin, it doesn't make sense for us to play with it. The Bible tells us in Romans 6, 6-9, through 9, it says, For we know that our old self was crucified with him in order that sin's dominion over the body may be abolished, so that we no longer may be enslaved to sin, since a person who has died is freed from sin's chains or claims. Now if we died with Christ, we believe that we also will live with him. Because we know that Christ, having been raised from the dead, will not die again. Death no longer rules over him. Now, this doesn't mean that Christians never sin again. But it does mean that whenever we do sin, we recognize it. And we are convicted of it. And we want to move away from it. Because we understand that Jesus paid a price for it. Now, if we're going to live a 180 life. You know, a different life, a divergent life. Then we have to have an attitude adjustment. We also have to have a time adjustment. This is the last one. We have to have an accountability adjustment. Now I'm going to read the last few verses here, verses four, uh, verses 4 through 6. It says, in regard to this, they are surprised that you don't plunge with them into the same flood of dissipation, and they slander you. They will give an account to the one who stands ready to judge the living and the dead. And for this reason, the gospel was also preached to those who are now dead. So, that although they might be judged by men in the fleshly realm, they might live by God in the spiritual realm. Now, when, when we, and you say, well, what does all this mean? When we know that someone is watching us, when we know that someone is going to hold us accountable, it has, it has the ability to affect the way that you behave and live. You know, if, if you know someone is coming over to your house today that you love and care for, what, is, what are you typically going to do? Well, you're going to go home, and you're going to straighten up your house, right? You're going to clean it up. You're going to dust. If you've got kids, you're going to tell your kids, get your, get your clothes off the ceiling fan. You're going to vacuum the house. You're going to do everything you can to have the house clean because you have people coming over, and you want them to be comfortable there. You know, when I'm playing golf with somebody and I hit a bad drive, and I'm playing golf with somebody in particular from the church, or they know I'm a pastor, it's really interesting. I have the ability to keep my temper in check. Well, why? Because I don't want to look like an idiot in front of somebody else. You know, when somebody's watching me, it tempers my behavior. Now, Peter takes it a step further. And Peter says, I want you to understand this. I want you to understand that in everything that you do, God is watching you. God's paying attention to what we do. We're told in Proverbs 5.21... For a man's ways are before the Lord's eyes, and he considers all their paths. Job thirty-four twenty-one says, For his eyes are upon the ways of a man, and he sees all his steps. David said in one, Psalm 139, 2 and 3, You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You understand my thought from afar. You, you scrutinize my path and my lying down and are intimately acquainted with all my ways. Now, verse number five lets us know that we are going to be held accountable and responsible for all of our actions. And who's going to hold us accountable? God is. You know, there's going to be a day when we stand before God. Now, there are some of us who think, well, I'm going to stand before God and say, God, this is the way I live my life, and I know you wanted me to, to be happy and do what I wanted to do, so here I am. Folks, we need an accountability adjustment here. God is not going to be sitting in heaven like a receptionist waiting to open the door for everybody who comes through. You know, you know what God is doing? God is going to sit as judge. As judge. What's he, who's he judging? You know who's judging? He's going to judge you, and he's going to judge me. He's, he's going to judge me for the way that I have lived my life. Jesus said in Matthew ten twenty eight. he said, don't fear those who kill the body but are not able to kill the soul. He said, rather fear him who's able to destroy both soul and body. God holds the key to all of eternity, and his judgment will determine which path we're going to take. You know how many paths there are? There's two. There's going to be heaven, there's going to be hell. Now, if we know that, is that going to affect the decisions that you make in life? It should. You know, it should make a difference. Whenever I understand that God holds the key to all of eternity, it should impact the way that I live. And here's what I know, that whenever I know God is watching me, it makes a difference. You know, there's an interesting experiment that was done by a Newcastle University, and I read about this, Newcastle University in England, and they, they, had set up a, they, they were selling drinks and they set up an honor system. And they had the price list, a little cash box, you would come up, you picked up a drink, you would pay for it according to the price, and then then you would leave. Nobody's watching you. And so the first week they had a poster of flowers right behind the cash box, and so people would pay. The next week they had a pair of eyes as a poster. They were eye level and looking at you. Here's what they discovered. When the poster with the eyes was behind the cash box, people paid three times more than when the poster of the flowers were up. Well, what's going on? But people said whenever they saw the eyes, they thought they felt like somebody was watching them and they felt like they'd better be honest. When the, when the flowers were up, they said we felt like we could cheat the system and get away with it. Okay, that makes sense to me. You guys, let me tell you something. God is watching us. God is constantly paying attention to the way that we're living. And so that, that impacts me. And so when I'm tempted, I step back and I say, hey, God's watching me. When I want to lash out at someone and I take time to think, you know what, God's paying attention to what I'm doing. That impacts the way that I behave. Now, you, now you see, I, I want to behave for him not just because I'm scared of him, but because ultimately because of this. Because I know he's watching me and I love him. And so I don't want to embarrass myself in front of my God. Now, living divergent It means being different. Well, how do I be different? You you live a 180 life. Now, how do I live a 180 life? I need an attitude adjustment, a time adjustment, and an accountability adjustment. Okay, now in light of that, as we close this out, how many of you are living a divergent life? How many of us are living a life that is truly different? And for some of us, you have to say, you know what, my life's not real different. take this time right now to confess that to God and say God I want to honor you and God I pray that you will convict me and show me when I step out of line with your plan so that I can live for you above all things